Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. Good everyone. It is episode 119 yep. and it is the, uh, let me check, 24th of July. Very smooth. And we've got a very fun show for you guys coming up. We're going to be talking to former NFL player Burgess Owens. Uh, a really cool chat. He's uh, written an article for the Wall Street Journal recently about reparations. So we're going to be talking to him about that, the politicization of sport in the US and in Australia, a whole bunch of other things as well. We are also going to be talking to Adam Schlicht from the band So Fox. Uh, he's a Melbourne musician. They're up and coming. We're going to be talking to him about the threats that young bands have because of uh, government regulations and red tape and a few of the other things that young bands come up against. So that's going to be a really interesting chat. And I think we're also going to be playing one of his songs. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of other topics coming up. We're going to be talking Boris, obviously. We're going to be talking superannuation, the latest with Dr. Peter Ridd and Bangladesh wanting Australian coal. Pete, anything you're particularly looking forward to on the show today? Well, you, you stole one of mine there, mate. I'm very excited about talking about Bangladesh because it's an issue that's close to my heart. And of course, my hero for this week is Erica from Stranger Things. Yep. And I reckon it's going to be a really good one. I don't cool. want to talk it up, but it's going to be awesome. Well, I'm back in my hero as well. So cool. we'll get into that pretty soon. But okay. we should talk about it because the big story around the world Britain has a new Prime Minister, Correct. Boris Johnson. You've got your finger on the pulse. I do indeed. Uh, oh, and uh, Ivanka Trump does not. She said, uh, congratulations to Boris Johnson, the new Prime Minister of the United Kingston. Uh, I'm just glad I could get all the Kingstons together on one issue, so that's good for him. But anyway, so Boris Johnson, <laughs> new Prime Minister. We talked about it on the show last week. We sort of agreed, like, this is, like, Boris Johnson, like Theresa May, will be defined by Brexit. And he keeps on saying October 31, October 31, October 31. Mm-hmm. Remains to be seen whether or not that takes place. So do you have any thoughts? Look, I think I was a bit last week I said that you know we talked about Brexit of course and last week I said that Boris is a bit of a chameleon which of course he is but one thing I did realize in in preparing for this week is that uh, preparing this show I put together this because the assembly uh, members have decided they have no questions to put to you. Are you saying they're abdicating their duty to scrutinize me? Are you saying they don't they haven't the guts to put questions to to me? What Great is it, um, supine protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. And my friends, we export French knickers to France. French knickers made in this country. Jeremy Corbyn, that NATO bashing, trident strapping would be abolisher of the British Army. He says he still admires Bolivarian revolutionary socialism. I say he's Caracas. <laughs> Okay, that last one for those listening rather than watching on YouTube, of course, is the famous incident of Boris knocking over that small child playing rugby, I think, in Japan. Second best hit uh, in sporting history behind Sydney Stack on Jack Viney, oh, my books. Don't, mate, the podcast is only meant to go for an hour. Right? So <laughs> I got started on that. Uh, of course, James talking about AFL football there. No, see, the thing about, I was harsh on Boris last week. I said he was a chameleon. And he is a little bit of a chameleon, but I think he's going to be funny, yep. which is great for the show. Which is good because I've got one from his victory speech uh, just this morning slash last night, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, and I know some wag was already pointed out that deliver, unite and defeat, which was his uh, slogan, was not the perfect acronym for an election campaign since unfortunately it spells out dud. But they forgot the final E, my friends. This is all him. E for energize. And I say to all the doubters, dude, we are going to energize the country. That's what I'm talking about. It's off to a bad start. I don't think <laughs> you're off to a great start. It's off to a bad start. It's not Churchill. I'll put it that way. Churchill never said dude. No, nah, Churchill never said dude. But look, as I said, I think we're going to see more stuff like that. Okay, so the biggest issue in Australia. I've got, oh, one, I've got one more thing. Sorry. Uh, to put it into context, like conservatives were basically dead for the next election, mm-hmm. and they're now already back to favourite. But I'm just saying, 
Like, I know Boris has said October 31, October 31, October 31. Don't forget how well the Brexit party did in the EU elections and don't forget how good they were looking in polls. It's just something I'm squatting on. Okay. It's the take I can come back and play a clip and just go, see? what I say. Okay, well, you've set yourself up for the future and that's good. Yeah. Speaking of set yourself up for the future, ah, let's talk very about Very good transition. Very I thought good. that just then as well, so I'm pretty happy with that. Under current legislation, super is due to go up to 10% in 2021 and 12% by 2025. It's at 9.5% at the moment. Now, I know super's not the sexiest issue of all time, but it should be. It should be really sexy because what happened this week is a group of renegade coalitions, including friends of the show, Senator James Patterson, Senator Amanda Stoker and Andrew Hastie, all been on the show, uh, have asked the government to consider scrapping those increases. Now, as I said, it's not the most interesting issue for a lot of people, but the thing you have to know about super is that super is tax, James. Yes. Sometimes the government forces you to give them money and they give you roads. Sometimes they force you force them to give you money and they give you hospitals. This is just them forcing you to give them money and they give you like retirement savings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give this what? to you later when you deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we're ever going to retire. Anyway, so if your super goes up 2.5%, your I'll wages- die at this desk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's dedication. Later today. Okay. Let's not get too carried away, but uh, I'll get a medic. So 2.5% uh, increase in super just means your wages are 2.5% lower. And uh, the thing you have the other, so that's the first thing you have to recognise about super is that it's a tax and it's going to reduce your wages yep. if it goes up. The second thing is that it's dominated by the unions. Of course, a lot of the super funds are industry funds controlled by the unions, and this is just a way increasing the superannuation is a way of propping those unions up and, and giving them more power. Uh, and the, the third thing is, as Adam Crichton wrote in the odds this week, Australia has the fourth or fifth largest uh, funds management sector in the world, despite having a pretty small population by world standards. There's no fewer than 14 superannuation industry and professional associations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that they're, they're all on this gravy train. Yeah, yeah. Here's one super thing I found interesting. So the Grattan Institute put out a, a report saying that the typical worker would sacrifice up to $30,000 over their lifetime in wages for super. So 30 grand just gone. You get it back, but it's gone. Yeah. Uh, and that got had uh, that got disputed by industry super. Wonder oh. why they went up to protect it. Which said that the modelling was misleading because it assumed continuous careers from age thirty to sixty-seven. So there you have it. It's only bad if you keep working. Yeah. If you stop working, it's not a bad thing anymore. Yeah. So that, but if you do want to keep working, yes, it is a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's a, that's a good example of what I'm talking about. Now, of course, what we're getting to is why this matters to young people. If you don't well, have thirty grand, <laughs> that is to me. Young people like thirty grand. So yeah, maybe records like. Could buy with 30 grand <laughs> like a couple these yeah, days i'm not four. sure anyway so about young people because you can't use that money to start a business you can't use that money or it's hard to use that money to buy a house other investments stuff like that 60 percent of young australians have more than one account means that meaning that their savings are being eaten into by certain uh, by different accounts uh and it's just your human rights to be able yep. to spend your money how you want james yes the other way that super of course hurts young people is that a lot of these super funds have automatic opt-in life insurance uh when you get super which is compulsory um, which means that you know it eats into the savings of young people for a product they don't necessarily need life insurance. Young people don't need it, so that's yet another reason why it's not such a good thing. Uh, there's one. Uh, so if I can move on to another topic, unless yeah. you've got any more super that's silos a, to file at me. That's all I got. All right, sweet. Super, Sorry, uh, basically James Cook University, Dr. Peter Reid. The story is back at it. So last week it's revealed that James Cook University plans to appeal the decision of the Federal Circuit that's Court, right. which said that. Dr. Peter Reid was wrongfully dismissed. So JCU going back into the well, they think they've got a case. I don't know how after reading the judgment. Um, but they've already spent $630,000 of taxpayers' money on legal fees to defend their right to make sure that Peter Reid doesn't get to say what he wants on climate change and be a professor. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and now they're going to spend a whole lot more. Now, the other update to this story comes from yesterday where it was being discussed in the coalition party room and there's like this some idea that the federal government's going to like financially help out with Dr. Ritt, Peter Ritt's case. Now, I know you had something to say about that. That's right. So a number of coalition, uh, coalition MPs in the party room yesterday raised the fact that they were concerned about uh, academic freedom and stuff like that surrounding the Peter Ritt case. It was mooted that perhaps the coalition or the government would be supporting Ridd in uh, in his ca- uh, upcoming cases against JCU. Now, obviously, I have my own sort of reservations about whether the government should be picking a winner in stuff like this. I uh, would point out, as you mentioned, that JCU spent $630,000 of taxpayer money yeah. on this stuff. Uh, and um, also, but the, but the key thing we have to be talking about, of course, is this is being talked about in the coalition party room because of the IPA. Yes. And <laughs> importantly, of all the people who supported Peter in his case. Yes. Okay. So that's a good point. So pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> right there. Yep. Come on, pat yourself. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, so well done to us. But uh, yeah, let, I agree with you. Not my favorite way to go about it. I get the coalition's heart is in the right place, but I don't really love the you know private litigation matters. Sets a anyway, um, the point to me, like as far as, you know, well done to the IPA, but another point to me is James Cook University just going, yeah, we're going to appeal it. Like, the, it was such a, a, a total and utter decision on Peter Ridd's side that didn't leave a whole lot up to chance, but because JCU gets to and they have this, you know, fa- taxpayer dollars, they're going to appeal. So 630000 down already. They're going back for more. So my, like, I don't have anything to do with Peter Ridd's uh, legal team oh, for yeah. good reason. Um, but if I were to get involved, I would look for, like, this counter-settlement where... If it goes against JCU again, any single student that doesn't get a program funded or isn't allowed on a trip because JCU says they don't have the money after spending 630 plus on legal fees, that student gets to give the dean a wedgie in front of everyone. <laughs> Look, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, suggestion. Yeah. I, w- I would be interested to know what our legal team would say of that. But I think that's only fair because that's so much money spent on just frivolousness. Yeah. Uh, and that's my point. Well, that's right. And I think that's a good idea, James. Put me down for that. I think um, the other thing that... The other thing they raised in this, so they said they were, they, wanted, they were going to want to appeal, but if the appeal wasn't granted, they thought that Peter Ridge should get paid less because being dragged through the mud in this incident actually has raised his profile and has created economic <laughs> hey, opportunities. we did you a favour by doing this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we ruined your life, but you're going to make a bit of money, yeah, yeah. so we should have to pay you less. All right, so that was the other uh, let's move on to Bangladesh and Australian coal, which okay. I know you're looking forward to. Well, you know, I love Bangladesh and I love coal. So what happened earlier this week was that the High Commissioner to Bangladesh, a bloke by the name of Sufia Rahman, said on Monday, there is enormous opportunity to export Australian coal and LNG to Bangladesh given Bangladesh's sustained energy demand. So Bangladesh is a country on the rise. It's moving from a very poor country to a middle-income country, which is fantastic. 165 million people, 11 million people don't have access to electricity. Um, And they're going to have a lot of coal-fired power stations coming online over the next five years, and they want Australia to export coal to them. They're going to be importing 45 million tonnes of coal, James, which is a lot, by 2025, uh, worth predicted $4 billion to $5 billion annually. So... This is important. This is what I always say about coal, fossil fuels. It's not the cleanest energy, but there are people in the world that don't have access to electricity. And I would ask people who protest against Adani and other coal and other fossil fuel things, what is your plan for the 11 million people in Bangladesh that don't have access? Yeah, exactly. There's so many people who are like, I'm willing to pay extra money Mm -hmm. to get cleaner power, which is great for you. Yeah but it is not good for people that can't afford the extra money to pay for power. But, I mean, you were hitting some Bangladesh stats. I got another one. So the proportion of employed population below $1.90 purchasing power, so people on living on $1.90 per day, yep. dropped from 73.5% in 2010 to 146 in 2016. Now, this is like an insane turnaround 
in our lifetimes that we can help out with and give people a chance of a better life. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about, oh, but Adani makes me feel bad. Like, that's what we're costing ourselves. That's exactly right. And people like that talk about being on the wrong side of history with regards to climate change. Yeah. You would hope that every single prediction you've made about climate change comes true. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, people are going to look back at this era and say, you had the opportunity to help these people. Yeah. And you didn't because you got caught up in this. Yeah. Whatever. History books in Bangladesh in 100 years' time are not going to look favorably on Australia. That's right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's review that when that happens. All right, sweet ass. So let's move over to heroes and villains segments. And then after oh, that, yeah. we're going to be going uh, into our interview. So, uh, Pete, you're pretty pumped up about your hero i'll let you lead off with this yeah oh, been, first off what is the hero of yeah the week good segment? question uh, you're right i've been excited about my hero so it's time for the grunt the pig freedom of award which is what we award for the person who's the hero of the week of course grunt the pig and his owner was fined 806 dollars by wangaratta council early uh, council early this year for walking in public parks and lands he's used to hogging the pavement but now grunt the pig has to sniff out a new walking track <laughs> Uh, in fighting, I could watch that clip all day, uh, and I just might. The, the snort at the end, which is also the snort we do when we award Sm- the prize. Snort of freedom. Is yep. the freedom snort, that's exactly right. So in fighting this tyranny and in honour of his contribution to freedom, James and, I, uh, James and I each week nominate someone for the weekly nomination, and then we pick the best one of those two, and it goes to the end of the year when we award the 2019 Grunt the Pig Freedom yep. Award. and we need to decide what that will look like. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing we need to Maybe do... Maybe we just buy them a pick. Yeah, okay, you get like, a free pick. new Grunt. Free pick, and the other thing we need to they do... They have to have a Grunt. Yeah, yeah, that's the name of Grunt. Is we have to start writing down who's been who we give them to. Yeah, I thought that this morning, and then it seemed like work, so I just sort of put it away. But anyway, well, we're, we're wasting time here, so let's get into it. Uh, so I have a uh, factual, sorry, like a real life figure, which I'll come back to. So Jerry Foxhaven uh, was formerly Iowa's director of human services, and in June, a staff member complained that he kept on sending emails that referenced Tupac, the rapper. Okay. Uh, so he's now uh, been fired. And uh, there was no more two-pack Fridays in the office where he would just play two-pack around. Two-pack Fridays? uh, 4,300 employees that got his final message, which would usually include two-pack lyrics. Uh, He says, uh, Jerry Foxhaven says in his final one um, that it's going to be two-pack's birthday on the weekend. He's going to enjoy a two-year anniversary as director. He's just like reflecting on his time and just says, pay no mind to those who talk behind your back. It simply means that you are two steps ahead which is another Tupac lyric. Yeah, very nice. Uh, so fired for too much Tupac is disgusting. Now, there is a bit of a debate over whether or not he was actually fired for Tupac or it might have been another cause. Okay. The media has definitely run with the uh, Tupac narrative. Yeah. And uh, look, whether or not he was fired for too much Tupac or not, any public servant that purely expresses himself through mm. Tupac lyrics gets to decide when they leave. Like, yeah. I don't care what else is going on. They get to make the call of when they step down. Who's your uh, hero? My pick this week is Erica from Stranger Things. Stranger Things, of course, a very popular Netflix show. Yep. Uh, series 3 came out earlier this month. Erica's about 10 years old. I'm going to let her speak for herself. You know what I love most about this country? Capitalism. Do you know what capitalism is? Yeah. Yeah. It means this is a free market system, which means people get paid for their services depending on how valuable their contributions are. And it seems to me my ability to fit into that little bit is very, very valuable to you all. So, you want my help? This USS Butterscotch better be the first of many. And I'm talking free ice cream for life. You can't spell America without Erica James. That is true. I think I should win because I genuinely don't know how we would award the pig to a fictional character. We would break the laws of time and physics. Yeah, look, I, I don't know, mate. I reckon, like, Jerry's a hero. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He's, a, he's embodied the spirit of Grunt the Pig, but Erica was fantastic. Yeah. So how do we... We've got no one else... Fictional. 
Yeah, that's all right. We'll find a way. We'll find we'll a way. Just give we'll, it to the actress. Like, but what if she's not a freedom person? Anyway, we'll, we'll hash this out on air. Uh, off air. Oh, we're not going to pay for rock? Oh, <laughs> we'll hash it out off air. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to Villain of the Week. So okay. this one, we're playing around with a few different names for it. Um, Walt, uh, sorry, we've settled on Walter Peck, mm. uh, the bad guy from Ghostbusters, the right, EPA maybe. agent. <laughs> Pete has not seen Ghostbusters. Same part of it. Absolutely <clears throat> blows my mind. But anyway, the bad guy from Ghostbusters, the EPA agent that shuts them all down. He basically just embodies everything about government bureaucracy, mm. uh, a willingness to stifle entrepreneurship, and uh, was also a good bad guy. So uh, my bad guy this week, and I have a bit of a theme for my last couple of bad guys. It's always like uh, Hollywood and big companies, just good. vapid social. And But anyway, the new Top Gun movie, uh, the trailer came out, the new Top Gun movie, and his famous bomber jacket, which used to have the Japanese and Taiwanese flag on it, has now been replaced with two other flags that kind of look like it but clearly aren't. Yeah. And uh, so it's basically to appeal to Chinese censors uh, who are going to, decide whether or not the new Top Gun movie gets into China. So they're just like, well, why don't we just uh, be on the side of the communists? Like, you've got Top Gun, a movie about American Navy pilots who, you know, there's questions about who they are actually fighting at the end of the movie. But anyway, so at least standing up for freedom, standing up for individuality. And then the producers get to bank money off everyone's fond memories of this all-American hero and instead <laughs> kowtow to communists. And of course... So, villain of the week. Well, that's a good choice. And of course, these are the people that are like super woke. You know, you've yep. got to act like this, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, good one. All My right. one is... Okay, so we've all heard the story this week of Can- Canadian trans woman Jessica Yarniv, who appeared uh, last week at a British Columbia human rights tribunal suing more than a dozen female-only waxing services because they refused to service her when they found out she still had male genitalia. Villain for me is what I call radical feminists. So... We have a national discussion when Chris Gale says, don't blush, baby, to Melanie, Melanie McLaughlin. We have a national discussion about how middle-class accountants shouldn't say, uh, what is it, boys will be boys. This woman is asking the state to sanction sexual assault, and, there's, and I've got crickets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of these women being sued immigrants, a lot of them don't know English that well. This is a, this is a serious thing. Like, now they probably won't do it. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Who knows? But, uh, you know... Well, I think I read, like, some of them are settling. And it's, like, it's one of those ones where, um, you know, the process is the trial in itself. Like... Yeah. You just think, oh, that you know, it's not going to pursue anything. That's a good point. There's yep. a bunch of people in Canada right now who genuinely think their lives are about to be ruined because of this case. Yeah. Like, there is a punishment. To me, it's even is a wider issue of, like, um, the negative rights versus positive rights. Like, go, like uh, rights you have that prevent the government from doing something to you, like freedom of speech and freedom of association, and then positive rights, like, I have a right to healthcare. Yeah. Whereas, like, once you go down the positive rights thing, eventually you go... I have a human right to, uh, you know, have genitals waxed, I yeah. guess. Like the, and you don't, to be honest, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. Yeah. Uh, so that's my villain for this week. Okay, cool. Uh, I will back in mind, to be honest, because uh, I have a few words I want to say to the Top Gun producers when we award the uh, thing in person. Yep. And hopefully I get to meet Tom I Cruise. feel like my one was a little bit kind of amorphous, like, you know, radical feminist. Yeah. Not, I mean, Hollywood's like <laughs> It's hard to give it to one person. Uh, and I want to give it to Tom Cruise. Okay. Anyway, uh, so, so that, that is it for the start of the show. Uh, so we'll now go to our interview with Burgess Owens. Cool. Okay, we're here with Burgess Owens, former NFL Super Bowl winner with the Oakland Raiders, successful businessman and author of Why I Stand and Liberalism, or How to Turn Good Men into Whiners, Weenies and Wimps, and has been very critical of the Bush push for slave reparations. Mr. Owens, welcome to the program. 
My pleasure. Looking forward to talking to you guys for sure. What time is it down there, by the way? I'm, should I ask that? <laughs> it is. It is the early hour of 11 p.m. here, but um, that's oh. all right. We're we're happy to be up and talking to you, Mr. Owens. Now, you travel the U.S. delivering a message of opportunity and hope based on what you call the intrinsic principles that underline the foundation of our American way of life. What are those principles, and why are you so passionate about them? Well, it's really simple. First of all, the principles are a part of the DNA of the American way. Uh, we're a country based on Judeo-Christian values that, that basically the message is, here's a place if you want a second chance, uh, come. come. Come do it right. Come do it the American way. Uh, understand that we, uh, we believe that uh, everyone has uh, freedom and opportunity uh, to, do, to, to, to pursue their dreams. Uh, so we're, we're just excited about having a place that's a place, place of optimism, optimism, and we are fighting for that right. By the by, the way, uh, that's the that's the real fight. It's it's the way that we've always kind of looked at ourselves as being an, an open arms, uh, uh, dream big kind of company versus those who want to take away those uh, opportunities. The socialists and Marxists that we are uh, we're fighting against at this point. That ideology. Great. Uh, so we want to talk to you about a few of the more current issues uh, coming up, but I really want to talk to uh, you because you grew up in the Deep South as barriers of segregation were being torn down and were one of the first three black Americans to play football at the University of Miami. Uh, was it seeing racial repression at this time and the struggle to overcome it that drew you to the ideas of liberty and freedom and self-empowerment? Well, you know, and this is the thing. There were definitely times that we were it was t- tough times during that period. But this is what happens with Americans, and and, and it doesn't matter what, which culture, which uh, which uh, which race, uh, uh, which country people are coming from. You know, we come here, and it's never uh, a utopia. It's going to be tough. It's going to be some tough times. We go through that process. That's what makes us the tough American society we have. And yes, we did have some some very limited uh, opportunities. Uh, during the early part of our our, our our time here in this country, but but here are the things that people don't don't sometimes are not taught, don't realize, <clears throat> is that through these times, through these times, the black community did exactly what every other community does. We looked from within. We figured out how to become entrepreneurs. We educated ourselves. We went out and found out that this is a place with freedom. You can do anything you want to, and <clears throat> things like, for instance. Uh, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, 1940s, 50s and 60s, it was a black community, the segregated black community with all limitations we had that led our country in the growth of the middle class. We led our country in terms of the growth of uh, the percentage of, of entrepreneurs. 40% of black Americans were entrepreneurs. My dad was one, so were many of my, my, my relatives. Uh, we also led the country in terms of commitment to marriage, men committed to marriage. 70% of black men committed to the mothers of their children. Uh, that, of course, is going down to 30% now. And, and, and most importantly, we were a, a, a race that believed that we can compete and we would win. And we did that in a big, big way. So, uh, yes, it was, there was a time of limitations, but we never looked at ourselves as victims. We always looked at ourselves as victors. Uh, and and that, that's the difference in, in the, the message that the black community is getting today versus what I grew up in, which is a very, very positive, successful, proud uh, Americans and, and, and producers and, and those who gave to our country in a big way. So if that attitude of empowerment and entrepreneurship that you just spoke about has been lost or partially lost, if that you're, that's what you're <coughs> saying, why has that occurred? Why has that happened? Because of policies. We have a party here, a Democratic Party, who's, uh, who's, who's shown themselves as our friends, but they have not been. They put in place policies 
that take away the incentive for, uh, well, first of all, it, what it does, it, it destroys the very foundation of what makes our country great. It's called a family unit. We had the strongest family unit, the most competitive family unit in our country for all those years because not only do we have a Christian base, but we believed in the, in the roles of, of a father and a mother. We believe that men had the responsibilities of taking care of and providing protecting for their family and being leaders. We believe that women uh, were partners with their husbands. At the same time, they were nurturers. Uh, they, they believed in, in doing anything they could to make sure their, their children were educated and feeling good about themselves. When you put the government with policies like the welfare system, policies like uh, uh, Davis-Bacon Act, which was put, to, was put together to purposely uh, allow uh, white unions to have a, an, an advantage of a black, a black labor, uh, when you put together a, a uh, anti-choice school system in which black uh, kids are put into terrible school systems and not allowed to come out of it unless they have, they're sitting in the right zip code. So it, it's been policies that's destroyed our nation, I mean, our, 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 our race, uh, I should say destroyed, has, has made it very tough for my race. It's those same policies that the liberal, the left, the Marxist, the, the socialists are trying to, to put into our entire country overall. So uh, it's not, again, the typical American way is to always look at each other from inside out, not outside in, to always become a better society. But when we have policies that are put together by socialists and Marxists, it makes it a little bit tougher. And that's what the, that's what the black community is now dealing with. Let's talk about reparations for a second, because I, Peter and I saw the article that you had recently, which we thought was absolutely interesting. And a lot of the sort of themes when reparations get brought up in America are kind of similar to in Australia, that some of the conversations we have about Indigenous Australians. So we think like uh, a lot of what's happening in America might one day be brought up in Australia as a concept. So let's talk about it. Why are you opposed to reparations? Well, first of all, it only works if you don't, don't know our history. <clears throat> If you recognize that uh, every race that comes here, every culture comes here, not only deals with difficulties, but also uh, experiences the winds of, a, of, a, of, of assimilating this country. Uh, I want to make one other point to, to, to point out what I'm saying here. Uh, we, back in 18, uh, the, we, we, we won the war of, uh, against slavery in uh, 1865. In 1882, there's a black um, American, uh, one of the, the great Americans of our country that very little said about, his name was Booker T. Washington. He was a slave at one point, started, started a college called Tuskegee Institute. By, this was in 1882. By 1905, this college down in deep south uh, Alabama was producing more self-made millionaires than Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. So the, the idea of reparation can only work if you've stolen out history. If you tell people that there's a group of people that uh, have always been oppressed, have never been able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they're hapless and hopeless, and that they waited for white people to come along and help them, then, of course, reparation makes sense because you have victims. But if you have, you have the storyline of people who, like every other race, the Italians, the Germans, the, uh, the Jewish, who came here and went through tough times but pulled themselves up, created an environment in which their kids could grow up and be successful and could be competitive and be proud of who they were, then the reparation idea goes away because it's impossible to pay somebody who has been winning. And, and this, is the, this is the problem we have in our country. We have a, a race that was one of the most competitive minorities in our country. And we have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, uh, we have nothing to, to, uh, to be asking other people to, to give us a break for. And personally, it's a, it's a put down to the great ancestors that we had, the generations who worked hard to, to gain and earn respect of our country by providing 
uh, services, products, and winning. So uh, it, it is a is a put down, and it only works if you look at my race as victims. That's a really interesting point you made about the um, the multitude of African American millionaires um, in that period of time. Of course, one very successful African American, which you mentioned in that uh, Wall Street Journal piece that James mentioned uh, from May, was your great great grandfather Silas Burgess. And apologies if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> came to America as a slave and then lived the American dream. Why don't you tell that story for our listeners? <clears throat> I'd love to. And this is this is what happens if you take the time in this country to go back on ancestors. And, and this is just one, one example in which I was very blessed to find out about my great-great-grandfather, Silas Burgess. Uh, he came here in the belly of a slave ship, uh, was sold on an auction block in, in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, with his mother to the Burgess Plantation. Uh, Burgess, uh, this guy Burgess was a very, very bad person. Uh, his, uh, Silas's mother eventually either uh, took her own life or, or escaped because she couldn't take it anymore, the torture she was going through. Uh, and at the age of eight, uh, Silas was an orphan. But he was blessed to be surrounded by, by men who believed in freedom. He believed in taking risk. And they, they knew that if they can get away from there, they can go out and build their own future because this is America. And so they end up taking the, the they escaped through the, under, the southern route of the Underground Railroad, which was facilitated by white and Mexican-Americans who actually helped these slaves going whether north or south by giving them food, shelter, uh, direction, support, protection. And he made the way out to Texas where he became a very successful entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, he purchased 102 acres of land within two years, was a, the founder of his first, the first black college, I mean the first black church, the first black elementary school, um, was a Republican, a strong Christian, uh, believed in our country and raised as a legacy raised a great family who took, took that belief in, in themselves on to generations until it came to me. So I'm very proud to say that, uh, that my great-great-grandfather showed what happens to any, any people, any culture that comes to this country and assimilates and recognize that with freedom, opportunity, uh, 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 and the opportunity to dream big, you can do anything in this country, and it takes away the excuses for those who don't want to overcome the obstacles and blame other people for their problems. Yeah, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said that the thing about reparations is it sees an entire people as victims rather than people who are, you know, they can control their own fate. And I think that's like the main thing when uh, people talk about reparations rather than money. It's got to be like uh, the exact thing that you talked about. The other interesting aspect for me is the idea that uh, you're legally like the concept of being legally responsible for the actions of one's ancestors and forefathers. I mean, uh, the Northern Ireland, like my dad is from Holland and my mum's from Northern Ireland. And in the 1600s, a Dutch king invaded Northern Ireland. So does my dad know owe my mum money based off that? Well, see, here's the thing: if you try to figure out the 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 the, the critical. The thinking of these leftists, it'll drive you nuts. So you, you have to be careful because uh, it'll drive you crazy because none of it makes any sense. Yet, uh, what we have to understand is there, there is an ideology. Socialism and Marxism is a very evil ideology. It's, it's predicated on dividing people. It's predicated on, on racism, on, on, uh, 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 on every way of dividing people you can, whether it be race, color, uh, 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 wealth, success, age. It divides us. And at the end of the day, uh, the worst thing that somebody can ever do is to get in a position where, where you're trying to demand respect versus command respect. We command respect through meritocracy, but going out there and working harder than the next guy, uh, studying harder, taking more risk, getting back up when you get knocked down, 
and gaining respect because people see what you're doing and they love that that at, those attributes and want to be part of it. You cannot command somebody to respect you. In other words, you can't have you can't have uh, uh, a be a pity and pride and, and, and at the same time. So so what what the Black Americans are doing now? We're waking up. We're recognizing that first of all, the Democratic Party that's the party that uh, of slavery of KKK, of segregation, of Jim Crow. That's the parties that have done all those things throughout these years are the same party that, that wants to divide us now by telling black people that we're owed something by white people. So now we're waking up and, uh, and we're going to, to gain the pride that my generation, my, my, my dad's generation had in themselves. And, uh, and when we do that, uh, it's going to strengthen our country in, 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 in a myriad of ways. When you say black people are waking up, do you, is, there a, is there a big sort of uh, groundswell of support among African-Americans for sort of rejecting that kind of victimhood and in, um, taking on empowerment and self-improvement and all that kind of stuff? Uh, is that Absolutely. A- Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you what the genesis of that is. We, we elected a, a president, uh, president, uh, president Obama, the first black president. Uh, he was such a pathetic uh, president. He did so much uh, damage to black people. He gave them the dream of what could happen. And by the time it was all over, people wondered where's, where's hope and change. And what happens when, when, when you go through the process of having a lot of hope and putting that hope into different people and, and the promises they make and, they, and they, they don't come through, at some point, you, you look in the mirror and say, well, who's, who's at fault here? Is it them because they promised me or is it me because I believe them? And so we have black Americans now waking up and saying, you know what? Uh, we're not going to sit around anymore and wait for promises by the Democratic Party. It's been obvious that throughout all these decades, it's brought nothing but misery. And my message when I have a chance to, to give it is that we have, a, we have a party here that literally the strategy is based on human misery. Uh, when you can get people that can't read, uh, can't get jobs, uh, uh, begin to hate other people because of their color, uh, then they begin, it, it empowers a certain um, segment of our race, I mean, our people here, I call them black elitists. So you have people that become very, very wealthy based on other people's misery. And uh, the black community is waking up. By the way, and that's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, we're having a big deal in this country, as you guys have heard of, I'm sure, with uh, immigration and, and tearing down the walls and, and people trying to just come in illegally. Well, this is what happens when leftists uh, run out of power with people. we uh, Black community has been voting for them by 93% of us every single year for decades. We're beginning to wake up and realize that we, they're not our friends anymore. So as we begin to move away from the Democratic Party, they need to find some other group to take our place because it's all about use, abuse, and discard. Now that they're just discarding the black community and now bringing in illegals, non-Americans, people have no idea what our country's about, have no idea about history, uh, what, we, what it means to assimilate, know what it means to, to, to pay attention to the laws. And they bring them here so they can put them on welfare, let they deal with the black community, and then have them vote for Democrats. So that, uh, that's what we're up against at this point. Uh, Burgess, you're a former safety in the NFL, and I want to talk to you about how political sports is getting. I mean, I think the intersection of ports and pol- sports and politics has always been a part of American culture. It's always been a part of Australian culture. But I really feel it's been a lot more divisive, especially since Trump, than it was before that. I mean, anytime any US professional team wins a championship, the first question is always, are they going to visit the White House or not? Like, that's the divide. Uh, why are athletes, uh, why is sport now so political? Well, what you're seeing is, is you're seeing uh, what has been uh, happening behind the scenes for quite a while. 
You see, within the black community, within the urban community, uh, there are young men that are not taught about our flag. They're not taught about God. They're not, they're not taught about their family unit. They're not taught about pride and country. So all of a sudden, you have <clears throat> these young men <clears throat> that now are becoming very, very wealthy, and you have organizations like the NFL, like Nike, uh, that, are, that are run by socialists and Marxists who are using these young people to tear down our nation. The reason why uh, entertainment uh, and, and, uh, and the media uh, and, and athletics become so political is because they're behind the scene, they have been uh, infiltrated by those that are socialist, Marxist, and anti-American. Uh, we have something on uh, a program here in this country called BET, Black Entertainment Television, which up until 2000 was run by black people. In 2001, it was, it was bought out by a company called Viacom, a white socialist, and, and the message that comes through BET for the last two decades, and this is what goes into the black community, the urban community, and it, it, it's focused on rap music, and, and it's anti-American, anti-family, uh, anti-flag, uh, anti-white. And so you, you wonder why these young people, when they, they get out of this process and they become successful, why they still believe that, because all their lives have been trained to think that way. So what we have, what you're seeing is that actually is what's been happening behind the scenes for a long, long time. Those in power, those who who do not like our country, but will use propaganda to teach our young people to hate our country. And it's, it's sad, but we have to, again, get, get back to where we love our country, love our flag, love family, respect women, love God. Those kind of messages that the, the socialists and Marxists do not like us to have. We need to make sure we're standing up for it. So you would say the players today are much more political than when you were playing. Like there wasn't as much oh, politics being discussed in the locker room. Oh, absolutely. Listen, the, 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 the days that I grew up, I remember standing on the sideline and we, we would get teary-eyed just thinking about the honor of being able to, to do what we love to do, being paid for what we pay for in this great country. Uh, but at the same time, we had leadership. We had the NFL commissioner who, who fought in World War II. We had coaches and, and owners who, who were part of the World War II a little bit after. So they believed and they have a, a big patriotism for our country. And that's why the, the game of football was so tied in to patriotism. What we have now is a group, a group of elitists, a group of Marxists and socialists that are hiding behind, this, behind their titles, behind these old corporations, and, and, and pushing out danger or, or damage to us in a, in a big way. Nike, Nike is a great example. Nike does not, that's their greatest growth now is in China. Uh, they they want to get that the billion dollars of of, of, of revenue of, of uh, you know the the uh, the customers there. So what do they do? They put in they put in their in, in, uh, as their person who represents them a Marxist, and that's Colin Kaepernick. Colin is nothing but a a Marxist. He loved communists. He loved the Cubans, Castro, and he does not love our country. But this is the this is the marquee. This is who they say represents Nike because in in China. Well, that marketplace is, they love them. So this is what we're up against. It's a, it's, it's a different uh, uh, group of globalists that we have to realize they're not, not for the American way. Well, Burgess, this is the part of the interview I've been looking forward to the most as a big sports fan. Now, you had a decorated NFL career, first at the New York Jets and then at the Oakland Raiders. You won the Super Bowl with the Raiders in 1980. That must have been quite a party. What do you remember about that, yeah. uh, that victory? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because... For those who don't remember the Oakland Raiders, uh, the Raiders used to be a winning football team. I have to remind people nowadays because they're not doing that well. Yeah, I'm a Denver years. Broncos fan, and uh, it's been a while. <laughs> okay. All right. But there was a day that the Raiders were truly a team that, that everybody respected or feared uh, because Al Davis represented the American way. 
Uh, Raiders were was a team. This is before uh, before uh, uh, you know the uh, free agency. And the Raiders was a team that that players who had trouble with all of the teams. They're either too brash, too rebellious, uh, uh, too undisciplined, too bo- whatever it might have been. If they could not make it any place else, they made it on the Raiders. To me, that was the American way. It's, it's that those who just kind of they're looking for a second chance. And we found it at the Raiders, and, and it was because of this culture that we had. Once you got there, you just wanted to do everything you could to, to make sure you stayed there and, and, and added value. Uh, so I, I kind of I was very very pleased and blessed to have, have played on that team in that era. And again, to me, it represents really what our country is about. Uh, uh, those that have sometimes hard time being accepted by others, but we we give our heart, we give everything we can, we look past our differences because it's all about just win, baby, and that's what Al Davis was all, was all about. And I love being part of that that culture, and I look forward to bringing that culture back to this country. So you mentioned Burgess that you uh, that the Raiders was full of people who'd been traded because they were troublemakers on other teams. What had you done at the New York Jets to get yourself a shift out west? <laughs> well, it's a, that's a good question because uh, on most part I was I think I was a pretty good guy, but here it is. Uh, in those days, believe it or not, because of where the NFL was, certain certain positions were were set aside that player black players would not play would not be given. Black players in the seventies and early eighties were not you couldn't find their quarterback at centers at free safeties uh, uh, any any thinking position. And I was I was I was actually given the position of of uh, uh, for the uh, for the player association to head up a commission to look into it. And it was just a little bit after I was given that position, permission, position, I was, I was traded to the Raiders. So it, it's interesting how far we've come, isn't it? I mean, we're now, we don't look at color at all when it comes down to, to teams. Matter of fact, 80%, 7% of the NFL are black players because they've earned that position. Uh, so we've, that shows how far we've come in things like NFL and why players who understood their history, how far we've come, should feel blessed versus feeling entitled. You know, we have 50, we have billions of dollars represented around that football field today where we didn't have that in old days. Those young men, if they were taught the American way, would be sitting around and saying, what can we do to, to put in our money together for a business? What can we do to educate our young people that are not being educated? What can we do to make a difference? Because this is a country that's based on three very, very strong words, we the people. But instead, because they've been trained by socialists and Marxists within those urban communities, they don't think about themselves as being a solution, but others as coming to make, make sure things happen for them. Folks, if you want to hear more from Burgess, uh, go out and buy his books, Liberalisms or How to Turn Good Men into Winers, Weenies and Wimps, and Why I Stand. Burgess Owens, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You can find me at BurgessOwens.com, www.burgessowens.com. All that information is there. And thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it, for sure. No worries. Okay, thank you too, Burgess Owens. Uh, really good chat. Pete, any takeaway thoughts? Well, my biggest regret probably in life, but at least from that interview, was the fact that Burgess Owens sort of slightly mentioned that that 1980 Super Bowl party was quite the party, didn't quite get the chance to really drill down into that and hear a few more stories. So I guess next time we have him on. Uh, yeah, from other Super Bowl parties I've heard of, probably would have been a pretty good night out. Uh, I'm just glad that he is uh, very down on the hopes of the Oakland Raiders, which mm. is very good news for my beloved Denver Broncos. All right, let's go to the rest of the show. Uh, now, Pete, we've got a speaking truth to power to start off this back end of the segment. This is usually a segment where people... Uh, who think that they're speaking truth to power, think that they're fighting the good fight, actually reveal that they're not doing that. So you saw something 
about Extinction Rebellion? I did. I thought this guy almost made it as a villain for me. Like he was very close to making it as a villain, but I decided not to. Eric Search. Still villainous, but yeah. not villain of the you week. You can be villainous without being in villain of the week. That's a good point. Eric Search, Herbert, 20-year-old from Brisbane, climate extinction, as you mentioned. These people uh, causing chaos, protesting climate change. Extinction Rebellion, not climate extinction. Yep. Extinction Rebellion, that's good yep. from you. Uh, was arrested last week for gluing himself to a Sydney street to protest the Adani mine, which we spoke a little bit about earlier. Now, this is rolling on YouTube for those watching on YouTube. He's the fella in the grey. It was re- revealed subsequently in court documents that actually... Uh, what's his name? Eric still lives with his folks, which is fine. He's only 20 years old. However, his folks live in a waterfront, five-bedroom, four-bathroom mansion on the Sunshine Coast. And I've seen photos of it. It is magnificent. It is a great yeah. bloody pad. It's got one of those ones where like, the pool keeps going and there's no actual fence on the pool. The mm. pool just goes off into another body of water. Mm. Very is that good infinity pool? Yes. That's what I got here, so that, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, I've just found out they're called infinity pools. Yeah, infinity pools. sounds so cool. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm distracting you. That's all right. Private jetty, triple lock garage. Anyway, look, the bigger the house, the bigger the carbon footprint. Print, obviously for those playing at home now i can't believe climate extinction what would you call them uh extinction rebellion i can't believe extinction i call them that because that's their name but yeah okay sorry <laughs> i can't believe extinction rebellion protesters are rich kids who would have mm-hmm. picked that um and uh eric you know you're a bit of a hypocrite sort yourself out yeah well we've seen a few extinction rebellion protests in melbourne as well and uh there are definitely some affluent kids among them but i also like you know you've got the grizzled old people that have been fighting the fight since the 60s mm. and i just like I really want to see their reaction to this news of just like, we've met in crappy updoor pubs for mm. 30 years. You didn't think we could use the infinity yeah. pool for just a quick poolside catch-up before a protest? Never like, invite we us over. Never invite us over. All right, uh, I got another one for you. Sorry, uh, story uh, from the Royal Australian College of Physicians, which is like a peak body in areas of public health. They want current lockout laws in Sydney that restrict the sale of alcohol and limiting the operation of nightclubs, which we're going to be talking about with Adam later in the show. But anyway, so lockout laws to not only be retained but strengthened in a submission to the New South Wales Parliamentary Review on the controversial laws. The group has also proposed a uh, floor price on alcohol, so like a minimum price that they can sell alcohol at. Um, See, this is like a debate that's been going for a while and every few months or so, some public health body pops up and they say that we need to charge prices, (sighs) uh, they need to raise prices on alcohol. Um, Basically... I think at this point they just need to say we're completely okay with young people getting absolutely smashed off their face at home and then going out. Yeah. Like, stop saying that it's like, oh, it's just minimum pricing laws. It's like, oh, no, no, we just want them uh, drunk elsewhere. Yeah. And off black market goods. Like, we don't want them buying storefront stuff that gets tested. We want them buying black market stuff that might be bad. Yeah, off the back of a truck, like uh, Chop Chop, which yeah, yeah. obviously flourished with the cigarette thing. Nah, look, I mean, this, this is the bloody outrage. This would have been a good one for a do- bloody outrage next yeah. time. All right. Uh, and uh, so the good news is that the acting premier of New South Wales is like, uh, this is a poorly thought out idea that will have little impact on our consumer behaviour. So good to know that the politicians are actually seeing what this is actually about. It's always a bad idea. Yeah, exactly right. And of course, the lockout laws didn't do well electorally, so I'm sure that's where that's coming from. All right. Layla Laurel, 23, student of University of Brighton in the UK, has won the Belmond Award at New Design in London for her chair that stops men manspreading uh, and also a chair which encourages women to take up more space. So just uh, the chairs are, to ha- to, I'll describe them as, and if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the picture of it right now of the two people sitting there. Uh, the bloke sitting there with his legs together looking very sad. Does lot look comfortable. <laughs> he looks a very sad person. And the woman sat there like she's riding a, uh, a horse um, because that's empowerment, apparently. Yep. Um, and I'll just read a quote from Layla. I think encouraging women to consider the way in which they move through the world or through the space they take up in relation to men is powerful because it is such an intrinsic and huge issue. 
is it? Look, here's the thing with, uh, for me, with man spreading and then yep. mansplaining as well, which is oh. it's not so much a man thing as it is a complete jerk thing. Like, yeah. there are just jerks in the world and they will spread out and then they will explain things to you in a very mm. patronizing manner. Like, we cop it too. Um, so, I, I just think with chairs like this, a, a, manspl- a manspreader will find a way. Yeah, like no amount of chair will hold back a good man spreader. Okay, like they will they will overcome this obstacle that you put in front of them. Really, the problems lie a bit deeper. So you think you think that something's more required of this chair? Yeah, I, I think uh, chairs won't solve it. We will solve it, but chairs won't solve. That it. is remarkably deep, James. Thank I'm you. proud of you for that. All right, so uh, I got another one. We maybe we should have invited this next person to speak at IPA Academy because mm-hmm. there's been no clearer uh, example of the what actually happens with minimum wage than this next story. And it's Bernie Sanders. So you think of Bernie Sanders, you think, you know, socialist and uh, all that sort of stuff. But anyway, uh, stories come out that in his 2020 presidential campaign, he wants to pay people like the federally mandated minimum wage, which is 15 an hour. Now, the thing is, on his campaign at the moment, people are not on average earning $15 an hour. It's closer to 13. Oh, okay. He's a hardcore capitalist. Hardcore capitalist. Underpaying workers, shaking him down. George Kalambaras could take a few tips. Uh, But anyway, so Bernie Sanders has said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to not go down the Kalambaras route. I'm going to go down the $15 federally minim- uh, mandated minimum wage, as he's right to do. Like, he can employ people at what rate. The thing is, uh, people aren't going to be working as long. They've Ooh. cut down on hours because they can't afford to pay, pay people at that wage. Yep. Now, that's what happens. <laughs> this is what we've been trying to tell you. Yeah. Minimum wages sound great until people can't get as much work as they want to because they uh, places can't afford to keep them on. You're 100% right. I think Bernie Sanders would have been a great addition to IPA Academy. Write that down for next time. And I can't believe he should be sacked from MasterChef as well. <laughs> All right, so, cool. All right, next one. At the University of Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, we held the Generation Liberty IPA Academy over five days for 21 young people from around the country. Now, it had a lot of terrific speakers and lecturers, Senator Amanda Stoker, Dr. David Kemp and Lorraine Finlay. But we were also very privileged to have Professor Gary Wolfram from Hillsdale College in the United States talk to the young people about the magic of free markets. And here's a clip now. That's just amazing how this thing has parts from all over the world brought together stored at some place until you want it and it's such a rate that it's so cheap that you guys don't even know what it costs markets do that all right now that magnificent clip is from a 12 minute video and if you want to see the whole 12 minute thing head to ipa youtube if you want to watch it yeah it's also on our facebook page at ipa and also the generation liberty facebook page so if you're a young person uh who wants to get involved with ipa stuff make sure you're also liking generation liberty yep and the other lectures from all the other great speakers will be available in the upcoming weeks yeah they're all awesome so i'm really excited to start sending those ones out all right, cool. Well, on that, we should probably uh, talk to Adam Schlicht as well. Yeah. So we recorded that interview a few minutes ago, I think like 15. So we'll now go to that now. All right, I'm very excited by this interview. We've got young Melbourne rock star. I've never interviewed a rock star before. But we've got Melbourne rock star Adam Schlicht. Uh, he's 21, part of Melbourne duo So Fox, which are an indie pop band. He's here to talk about his band, his new EP, a gig he's got coming up tomorrow night and how regulation syntaxes are hurting young bands like So Fox. Adam, welcome to the show. G'day. Thanks, guys. That was a very flattering intro. Thanks, mate. I've been working on it all week. So tell us about your band. How'd you come about? How'd you come up with the name So Fox? What are you all about? So Fox. Well, uh, we're actually a duo yep. in Melbourne. Um, me and the singer, M. Uh, we're childhood friends. We started writing together when we were like 14, 15. That's cute, isn't it? Yeah, so did the Beatles. So Exactly. You know. Exactly. So you do the math. Yeah. You do the math. <laughs> 
There's half of us though. They had double the people. So yeah. well, yeah. that's too many cooks in the one. That, that's too many cooks. So exactly. I think you got one up there. Yeah. Um. And then we decided to take it a bit more seriously about uh, start of 2018 and uh, recorded an EP together, which we came out with this year, and yep. uh, it's out. We we got it out. No worries. What's that? What's that EP called? It's called the Clean Cut. No. Nice. Um. Yeah. All right, and of course, this was featured on Triple J on Earth. You're telling me that must have been a bit of a thrill. Yeah, yeah, they played it. We got a couple of spins on Triple J on Earth, which was uh, pretty nice of them. Um, yeah, we're pretty first time we've ever been played on a radio. So, yeah, let's get into it. So, um, we talked before about how syntaxes are hurting young bands like yourself. So, I mean, in Melbourne, we're sort of seen as like sort of the cutting edge of music industry outside at the moment. It's like Melbourne or maybe Perth, but um, there's not a whole lot of places you can go to see live bands these days. Yeah, I mean, they're slowly, they're cutting down. It's coming, you know, there's just kind of a few like hot spots where everyone goes to, which kind of makes it harder for, you know, young bands because you like everyone's competing for the same venues and, you know, there's only so many nights you can play. So if you're a band just starting out, it's pretty hard to get a slot, you know, when you're, you know, straight off the bat. So, so why, do you, why do you reckon there are so few places? Like, I mean, partly I think sometimes I just think, um, you know, maybe we're moving away a little bit from live music maybe the electronic scenes kind of you know more popular but also you know things are getting more expensive for bands and like um it's expensive to go out drinks are expensive at the pub so mm. you know it's a, i guess it's a, it's an expensive um hobby so you would definitely say that this has held back the emergence of your band do you think there's gigs you would have got if this these weren't in place stuff like that or uh it's hard to say but you know i don't think i don't think they're necessarily you know it's there's a lot of you know encouragement for new bands to start up and you know, it, it can be pretty tricky um yeah another thing i find is that there's like um so many regulations on the sale of alcohol i mean i know that's holding back sydney but it's also starting to get into melbourne and then you've also got like you know noise regulations as well that stop places having live music i know there's places i used to go to that have live music that gets phased out so i think that's also probably limiting the amount of places that you can get to perform like there are only yeah spots yeah we've played venues that like you know the, the the headliner act can't play past you know 10 10 p.m because you have to shut it off and that's in you know, like nearby us, you know, some places that, you know, pretty big hotspots that would get good crowds and they're cutting off the music at 10, which is kind of rubbish. Which is also when people are planning to go out. Like yeah, exactly. So that's when you get the crowds and then like they all get there and you've just finished your set. that last outro for 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, they get that little bit and then they make you shut down. And this is in like, you know, pubs and stuff like that where you usually see live bands. I think what happens is they've got a pub, it's great, there's live music, everyone loves it. Then they build an apartment block next to it yeah. and the people in the apartment go, I don't like yeah. this, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, they shut you down. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, there's like a complete inability to remember like, oh, wait, there was a pub there and they make noise? Yeah. <laughs> Who would have seen that coming? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen. So obviously as well, Adam, now you're a bit of a freedom fighter. Are you? Would you be a bit of a rarity in the music industry to be a freedom fighter or the yeah. others or what's going on there? I certainly wouldn't say I was in the majority. Okay. Um, you know, I guess we, we play a lot. It's probably, yeah, it's a pretty big kind of a bit more of a lefty scene in the music industry. And I guess like being more on, you know, the freedom side of things, I think a lot of people, it's a, it's a bit risky coming out saying that you're, you know, on the freedom side of things. It's not necessarily the smartest move in terms of, you know, people 
it doesn't always win you around a also, lot of fans. So this interview feels like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my yeah <laughs> career changing. <laughs> yeah, but I got to say, like, surely you know we talk about music and the sort of the punk attitude of it, mm. and you know stuff it to the man, and clearly the man these days is more left wing than right. Yeah, like we talk about like um, people who say, oh, we shouldn't have too much noise after ten p.m. and we should cut down the amount mm. of alcohol. That yeah, hundred percent. That's more of a left wing cause than a right wing cause. Yeah, hundred percent. I think like traditionally, and that's why. It, like people love about music it always had that like you know we'll do what we want and it's like a, it's a great platform to say what you want i think especially and so then that kind of goes against you know this kind of left idea of you know starting to stop people saying what they want this like you know kind of censorship idea so it doesn't really make a lot of sense and i i think it's just it comes from you know people not really knowing exactly what they're talking about and just kind of jumping on board with the you know the lefty train um, we actually wrote a song about it. It's on our EP called Really? Yeah, um, it's called Agree With You. We wrote it um, just because I, I was so frustrated one day and I said to our singer M, you know, like I came home from uni and just you can't have an, an opposing opinion. So the song's called Agree With You about, you know, is it okay if I don't agree with you? So Adam, you've got a gig coming up tomorrow night. Why don't you tell us about that, where people can go to see you play? Sure do. We're, uh, we're playing the Workers Club with a really cool band called Kitchen Boy. It's Ooh. their new single, so we're going to support them along with another really cool band called Backyard Mafia. So get down. We're on at nine. Uh, anyone that wants to come along. Sounds good. So where can people go to check you out? Anywhere, really. Any of your regular streaming platforms. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, all the regulars. Uh, we're, we've also got a website if you want to check us out, sofox.com.au. All right. Well, since we were talking about it, I guess we should probably close out the show with Agree With You. But before we do, I'll just uh, wrap everything. So thank you to Adam. Thank you to Burgess Owens. Uh, and thanks so much for listening to the show. Make sure you're telling your friends and family about it. They can uh, download and subscribe to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, any of the good podcast apps. Uh, yeah, see you guys all next week. See you later.